0: My best friends, I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today I will be teaching Tabby about the Russian mafia, also known as the Bratva, which translates to brotherhood. Um, I love brotherhoods. I'm so into that. Yes. It's like, that's so cute, low key. They're (laughs) cute. I love that for you guys. Um, I do want to preface this by saying if you thought you were going to mess up pronunciations about the Italian mafia, I'm going to absolutely butcher these Russians. Yeah, r- I
1: am seeing some words that I ain't never seen before.
0: Yeah, so bear with me. I obviously, um, well, I shouldn't say obviously because you don't know me, but I don't speak Russian for those of you listening. Um She's actually do that, a I sleeper spy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, wouldn't you like to know if I'm mm-hmm. secretly pretending not to know Russian? The
1: only one I know is the first one, Pekon. That's oh, all I know.
0: I was going to say that wrong. So thank you. Anyways, we're just going to talk a little bit about the Bratva. It's something that I think in American culture, people tend to be less familiar with than the Italian mafia. Um, so hopefully we're all going to learn something new today. I know I did. To start off, something unique about the Bratva is that there's not a clearly defined like top-down hierarchy Like there is a hierarchy, but it's not the same as the Italian mafia where you have like the ultimate like top dog. Um, In the Bratva, there are no like no one's irreplaceable. It makes it significantly harder for the organization to be dismantled because everyone's replaceable. If you murder some higher ups in the Bratva, it's like they're going to be okay. That does make sense, though, and we'll talk about it more um,
1: for the darkest temptation, but that's essentially what happened. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So we're going to start off with the hierarchy and roles that do exist, um, starting with the pecon, which is um, also known as Boss crestniotets and I can't remember what that translates to, Vor, which translates to Thief, Papa, self-explanatory, of which is authority so the pecon is technically the top of the hierarchy but again it's not quite it doesn't carry the same weight as like an italian mafia don they are in control though they are the boss and so they are the ones controlling everyone through intermediaries called a brigadier and we'll come back to brigadiers So i've heard that one before yeah. So next, we're going to talk about like the security group, which is called um, as a whole. It's called the two spies, but it's split into two subgroups. Hence, the two spies. So uh, the two spies' role is that they monitor brigadiers to ensure loyalty <laughs> to the current pecon and to make sure that none of them are becoming too powerful. So it's split into the Soviet Nick, which is the quote unquote support group, and the ob which is the security group their role is literally just to make sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to do so they're probably
1: the ones who are like out like controlling other groups and they want to make sure they're not like trying to overthrow or like
0: yeah i think that is their role basically they're just making sure that everyone whoever is truly um the boss at the time they're making sure they're staying loyal to that gotcha um, Now, I'm not saying that there haven't been situations where they've somehow, like, overthrown that current boss anyway. Like, I don't know. But basically, this is just, like, the boss's security team. The next role that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to butcher the heck out of this, the Durzhatel Abtshaka is the bookkeeper... And so that's the person who goes around and collects money from all of the brigadiers and then uses that money to then bribe the government or whoever to benefit the organization. So the person in this role can be the boss themselves or kind of like delegated to someone. Like the consigliere. It could be another brigadier doing this role. Basically, someone's just assigned to it. But what a brigadier is, and they're also sometimes known as autoritet, which is authority, Um, they're similar to capos. Mm -hmm. And so capos in the Italian mafia, if you remember, are like the little captains of the soldiers. And so a brigadier will assign jobs to boyavics, which translates to warriors, and runs a crew called a brigade, um, or similarly a capo regime. Mm -hmm. So Brigades are made up to five to six, patsanov or Brodiog. And we're going to talk about what those mean as well. <laughs> so, okay. If you remember, Boyeviks is a general word. It means warriors. So like soldiers in the Italian mafia. Um, but they're also called Bratok, which means brother. Hence like Bratva, brotherhood. So they can be either a patsan, which is the Patsanov. I'm assuming that's just the plural. Um, and then Brodiaga, or the plural is Brodyog, that I talked about recently. So that's who makes up these brigades. But they carry out, like, different roles, depending on, like, what their... Kind of, like, the footwork. Yeah. So the the brigadier's in charge of, like, assigning these roles, but then mm-hmm. the Patsanov or the Brodyog carry out different roles based on whatever their specific responsibilities are. Yeah. I'm not super sure like what the differences are, but it got a little bit confusing. But all we really need to know is they make up the brigade. They are the soldiers. They are the muscle. So lastly, a <laughs> this word is hard too. A schestiorca is known as an associate to the organization. They're also called the six. So these are similar to, in the Italian Mafia, what they just call an associate, I believe. And so Mm -hmm. they're like the lowest ranking, basically just errand boys for the Mafia, who their goal ultimately is to actually become, you know, like an inducted member, Mm -hmm. but at this point, they're at the bottom of the totem pole. The origins of the word, I thought this was kind of fun, Shastorka. Comes from the lowest rank of a 36 playing card deck, which were sixes. And so that's why they call it. Yeah.
1: I think it's cool that, like, you don't necessarily, like, you can be anybody to, like, kind of get started in it. Cause, like, yeah. with the Italian Mafia, if you wanted to be, like, an actual member, you had to come from an Italian background. Yeah. Um, but with this, I feel like it's probably a bigger organization because you can induct
0: anybody. True. Good for them. More yeah. inclusive. Now we're going to talk about what the title VOR means. So again, VOR translates to thief. The plural in Russian is VORI. So that is an honorary title that would be analogous to calling someone a made man in the Italian mafia. So to become a VOR, a PECON or another high-ranking member must bestow that title upon you. And to become a VOR officially, you must accept the code of the VOR visa cone which translates to thief in law. And so now we're going to talk about the history and how that came to be. So originally, back during Russia's imperial period, which began in the 1720s, there were these thieves, that went around, basically like Robin Hood. So I feel like this is the same all over the world. But in the 1700s, the majority of the population were fucking peasants who had nothing. So these thieves would go around stealing from rich people and government entities and then divide the profits amongst the general population. They were working for the people. Yeah. Uh, and so because, again, the, vo- the word vor means thief, then what became known as the Varovsky Mur, which translates to thieves world, formed. And so these thieves would form groups and make their own code of conduct that basically, again, similarly to the Italian mafia, it it was based on strict loyalty to the group and a disdain for authority figures and the government. Okay. Then, (laughs) in the early 1900s, Joseph Stalin, he was like, hey y'all, He was a vor. Really? Yeah. So, Joseph Stalin, he formed what was called the Red Battle Squads. He also formed a small group made of 10 people that was called the Bolshevik Expropriators Club, um, also known as the Group or Outfit. And so these 10 people, which included three women... I thought that was interesting. Uh, how
1: inclusive. And, uh,
0: yeah, not to applaud Joseph Stalin for anything, but that's... Yeah, like, he's a terrible man, but... Yeah, but, like, including like, women? that's cool. That's kind of badass. Um, but what they would do is they would procure arms and facilitate prison escapes, rob banks, and execute who they deemed traitors. Um, basically, anyone who uh, sided with the government, which is hilarious because then... Because he was Stalin, the government. Well, not at this point, but... Oh, okay. So. This from, was before. This was before, because between 1917 to 1997 is the Soviet era. Yeah, yeah, Okay, uh, I forgot you said we were... That was, yeah, early 1900s. He was, like, For forming sure. his little groups. He was, you know, exactly. gaining power and support. But then, of course, he became a dictator. And during his reign, millions of people were sent to gulags, which are basically concentration camps. Um, And so... Whenever these people were sent there, if there were powerful criminals in these labor camps, they were working their ways up within that camp and forming their own little organizations of criminals. So
1: I wonder what went so wrong that Stalin was like, I am going to become the government now. I think that he was just like, I can do it better. Which makes because, sense, because that's, like, kind of how it was in, in the book. Like I said, we'll talk about in the book, too. Like, they're trying to infiltrate mm-hmm. the government. Because so. they don't
0: trust the government, but they trust themselves. And so Stalin put himself in that role. I but think he
1: fucked it up. He happened. fumbled so oh, hard.
0: He fumbled the bag, dude. But, um, yeah, so in these gulags, Vori are forming their own groups. Um, in this era during the Soviet area is when the tattoos um, began as yeah. well. They began to get complicated tattoos to symbolize their status and they're still used today, which we're like gonna- the stars. Yes. OK, um, so that began in the gulags. Oh, um, OK. So after Hitler invaded the Soviet Union, Stalin got nervous. And so he was like, OK, I'm going to recruit prisoners to join the army because we need more manpower. So he started offering them freedom if they fought for the army. Of course, this betrays the code of the Vorovsky Murr because they're supposed to oppose the government. And if anyone did agree to join the army in exchange for their freedom, they were referred to by the loyal Vori as "suka," which translates to bitch. (laughs) <laughs> so that's still a huge part of history, because this led to from 1945 to 1953, there were wars in the prison called the Suki Wars. So literally the bitch wars oh. from 1945 to 1953. And the prison officials were like encouraging it because they were like, well, there'll be less prisoners in the prison if they take each other out. Also, I think it's hilarious
1: that Suki means bitch. Yes. <laughs> thinking of all the people important. named
0: Suki. Yeah, embarrassing. I love that, the bitch wars. Okay. Amazing. So flash forward a little bit to the 1970s and 80s. That's when Russian organized crime kind yeah. of came to the U.S. because um, a bunch of immigration policies were expanded. Uh, lots of people came over. So <laughs> in 1992 to 2000, following the collapse of the USSR, Basically, these groups of Vori began to just take over the economy because it was like early stage capitalism at this point. They had all of the power, and so they were like, We are going to muscle our ways in and just own everything. Because yeah. why not? Like they had the structure they- at this point. Yeah. Um, lots of businesses and natural resources that the state had owned for decades became privatized. And so they were just buying it up. And then also, any businesses that were owned by just like citizens, they began to make payments to the VORI for per- what's called CRISHA or like protection. protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something that also developed at that time was red CRISHA, which is um, CRISHA provided by corrupt police. You know, I
1: just realized. What? Cresha, sounds like Grisha. I was thinking and, like, that's what they are in the book, is that they were yeah. like the protection too. I think
0: she that is what she was doing. That is so funny. So in early 1993, it was estimated there were over 5,000 organized crime groups operating in Russia with an estimated 100,000 members. But officials do estimate that only about 300 of those groups would truly like... Um, Be identified as like what the Bratva are. Um, A lot of those organized crime groups were like either smaller scale or they didn't really have like a hierarchy like the Bratva did. Now, kind of from the early 2000s to the present, Russian mafia groups are extremely widespread. In 2009, they reached over 50 countries. So it's probably even higher now. Um, I thought this was interesting. So the Russian mafia has a really big stronghold in Atlanta. And I had no clue, but um, members are distinguished by their tattoos. So, I mean, you could just be walking down the streets of Atlanta and maybe recognize a Russian mafia member. Um, Also, they have a really strong presence in the French Riviera region and Spain. See, I I
1: think it's really cool, like, how big of a difference it is between the mafia and this, because, like, the mafia, I feel like, have kind of scaled back and, Mm -hmm. like, keep way on the DL. Like, they've kind of put their holdings into like actual legit businesses um and like the brav is doing that too but like it's obviously such a big like large-scale operation at this point like they're not doing anything to like hide it so like they must be pretty deeply immersed into like the government because
0: it is interesting because it and we'll talk about this with stereotypes too but it seems like the brav are a lot more in your face than the italian mafia but I did also want to talk about like other mafia in Russia because this is different than the true Bratva. Mm-hmm. There are also ethnic mafia groups in Russia, mostly from the Caucasus, Ukraine, and Armenia. A lot of them kind of follow the exact structure that the Bratva have, but tend to be a little more ruthless um, than the Bratva proper. However, some, <laughs> if you've heard of the Chechen mafia, um they are they're worse they are fucking brutal and yeah. so the chechen mafia was founded in the 1980s by nikolai Suleimanov. they became the dominant crime group in moscow and remain and so chechens in general they kind of do their own thing so they use the tribal structure of the tape t-e-i-p tape tape as well as the concept of an abrek which is the outlaw hero. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but basically the point is they're a lot more vicious and wild. They'd be wild. So Sophie Lark's series
1: that I was telling you about, the Mm -hmm. um, one where they talk, like, uh, the Kingmaker series, they actually talk about, like, all these other types of, like, mob and mafia groups. So they, like, mention all these. It's very interesting, the differences between them.
0: It is, because they're, like, geographically, like, they're all right next to each other, but mm-hmm. they're not the same pretty wild. The next interesting thing is that there's actually a language. Oh, I guess it's a dialect really uh, called Fenya, which is a Russian cant language used among criminals. So this developed by the Vori in prison. Um, so in in modern Russian language, they call it blatnoy language because blatnoy means uh, professional criminal. It's also widely used in Thieves' songs, which is, like, you know, little, like, like chantees, basically. Um, So, yeah, Fenya is a specific dialect that they would use to communicate so that, like, citizens wouldn't know what they were saying. Um, Interesting. Yeah.
1: I feel like most groups do that so that, like... Oh yeah, they can kind of communicate because that makes me think oh. of like back during slavery like slaves would have like their own form of communication mm-hmm. as well so that like the masters didn't know like what they didn't were saying they to were... each other or they'd yeah. sing it through song
0: Hmm. yeah it is kind of because it also like when it developed they were prisoners and in, in gulags so yeah the next thing we're going to talk about is tattoos which <sighs> i freaking love so mainly we're going to focus on the ones that are um because there are lots of prison tattoos in russian culture but we're going to focus on the ones that are mostly associated with the bratva. so stars indicate authority it's kind of like either on their shoulders or their knees because if it's on their knees it's kind of like um resand, but it's like i kneel to no one uh you know and he's got like, that kingdom on his knees so strong yes and then the stars are eight-pointed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the cat tattoo is also just a traditional sign of a thief. Interestingly, um, some of them during the Soviet era would get portraits of Lenin and or Stalin on their chest. Mm-hmm. Because they thought that, like, they wouldn't get killed by a firing squad because they would refuse to shoot their leaders. But they just shot him in the back of the head instead. So, so and, and then they can also get an Orthodox church that indicates that they're a thief. It's usually on the chest. And that's then the what a Christian like- had. Yes. The number of cupolas, which is like the little spiky things, indicates their number of convictions. Steeples? Yeah. I'm assuming that's the same thing. And then also the traditional thieves cross, which is tattooed on the chest, can mean similarly like to the Orthodox church that they are a thief. If they get medals on their shoulder, which is kind of like, it looks like um, part of a soldier's uniform, then especially if it's done in the pre-Soviet style, that indicates that they have a contempt for authority and also a, a higher rank in the organization. And then if they get an eagle, then it traditionally indicates like a senior authority figure. They also do get finger tattoos. So there's a winged arrow, meaning that they're a traveling thief. And then a crown can indicate a crime boss or pecon. And then there's a lot of force tattoos in Russian prisons as well. And one of my favorites is <laughs> it's I am a bitch. And but they're, you know, like to mark people as informants, um, betrayers, traitors. And then a lot of them mark them as homosexuals which is pretty fucked up yeah they are not big fans of of the lgbtq community (laughs) they are not allies so yeah now we're gonna talk about like in media and like stereotypes that kind of thing so this is a by the way all of that information is like from wikipedia Mm. this next quote is from tvtropes.org and so This says, Russian mobsters engage in all the same activities as Italian mobsters, but are typically depicted as much more openly ruthless, sadistic, brutal, and vicious. In other words, totally lacking the veneer of class and sophistication that many depictions of the Italian mafia have built up around the organization. The thinking is that because they had to operate in the Soviet Union and the new Russia, they are by definition stronger than your average mobster. You know,
1: I might have to agree with that though, <laughs> because based off of what is happening in these prisons and gulags,
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty brutal. No, that's fair. And you think about like the bitch wars and they were literally yeah. each other. Um I mean the they next-
1: have turf wars and like the mafia though. So I don't like I'm not True. I don't think one's worse than the other, but
0: They do definitely sound different. (laughs) They both are scary, uh, for sure. But I think, like, again, and it comes back to, like, how structured the Italian mafia is, they have, like, a way of doing things where it seems like in the Bratva, it's a little more, like, have it your way, do whatever you want. The next is a quote from, this is a show called Boomtown, which is a crime drama on NBC in the early 2000s. So a character named Vadim Solanik says, A fellow prisoner once told me he will kill my family, cut out my tongue, eyes, burn off my skin with acid, and shut down my business. Well, he did kill my family, but I still have my eyes, tongue, skin. Most important, I'm still in business, because I understood the man, so I was ready. See, we Russians don't make threats, only promises. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Again, <laughs> um, I... Can't believe that. Yes. And so, again, that fits in with the stereotype of, like, they are scary. They're scarier than your average average mobster. Russian prison sounds real scary. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you think most, like, it sounds like everybody in Russia goes to prison at least once.
0: I mean, it's probably a lot easier to be sent to prison in Russia. Sounds a little terrifying. Yeah. It's not for me, dog. (laughs) It ain't for (laughs) me. The final stereotype we're going to talk about is like their physical appearance. So, especially with tracksuits, the black Adidas tracksuits. Okay. So the reason why this like happened is back in the Soviet era, Adidas branded wear was a symbol of nonconformism because the Soviet elites did not approve of it. And again, they were anti-government, anti-authority. A popular saying went, the one who wears Adidas will sell the motherland tomorrow. And apparently in Russian, it rhymes. So it's a lot more like cutesy. Mm. So that's where it originated. And that's why they still wear them today. It's just kind of tradition and a symbol of nonconformism. But it is funny because they'll wear like a tracksuit and then they'll wear like dress shoes, which is hilarious to me. Um, Awesome. Typically, they also will wear sunglasses and caps on their head. And then another thing that's kind of uh, interesting is in pictures, you're, you'll oftentimes see them squatting. And the reason is that it was not considered to be acceptable for well-respected criminals to sit on the ground. So they would squat instead. Interesting. Yeah, that's why in a lot of photos, they are posed like that, squatting. Next, just kind of some film and TV things that the Bratva are are mentioned in or featured in. So in the James Bond movies, Goldeneye and The World Is Not Enough, the Bratva are kind of like the um, antagonists in those films. In Training Day, starring Denzel Washington, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. And I was like,
1: that's probably one it. of the,
0: the more popular ones. It's from 2001, though. So I don't know if a lot of people would. We seen were that.
1: but children.
0: The next one. Never heard of it, but we have to watch it. It is called Lord of War and it stars Nicolas Cage. So, I have actually seen that. Is it good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll be watching it. <laughs> and apparently, it features the Brava interestingly in a lot of batman films and tv shows and also in other popular comics such as hawkeye spider-man and the punisher the Bratva are Mm -hmm. the of the episode i forgot the punisher yeah in the really shitty indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull (laughs) (laughs) no it's bad no it's not bad it's real bad um listen it did not i love indiana jones but it's like that one was so bad. Yeah, it was okay, bad. He's so. old and it's corny. <laughs> it's really corny. Shia but LaBeouf, baby. It, right. But the main adversaries in that film were uh, Bratva. In Orange is the New Black, Galina Red Reznikova was. Yes, queen. A, a, what was that word again? A Shestiorka, an associate of the Bratva. Um, and was in prison for it. Yeah. And in The Sopranos, there are a bunch of references to um, interacting with the Bratva. Uh, and then in what I've referred to as police propaganda shows, like CSI Miami, Criminal Minds, and Law and Order, and <laughs> often every once in a while there will be, you know, some Russian mobsters in there. And of I course, don't watch any of those. <laughs> I don't either. The third and final book of the Maid series by Danielle Laurie. The sweetest, no, the darkest, <laughs> the darkest temptation. The darkest, sweetest temptation. The darkest, sweetest temptation of obsession, obsession. And oblivion features the Bratva. And, and
1: also Sophie Lark's uh, series, Brutal Air and The Kingmakers.
0: <laughs> yes, which I need to read still. I love Sophie Lark, though.
1: Um, I also think they briefly mention it in some of the Rocky films because Ivan oh, probably. Dro- Drago, Drago, is like from USSR and was like banned from Russia
0: oh yeah I'm sure I missed a lot I kind of was just putting some that I had heard of because I figure I figure if I've heard of them they tend to be more popular because to be honest I've not seen a lot of obscure films Um, Lord of
1: War is super good
0: it has Jared Leto in it hey I was just excited about Nick Cage dude my man I Nick Cage. unironically love Nick Cage. I, oh, Let me look up the name of this one. Hold on. You know what? Yeah, no, he's a
1: fucking solid actor. He is descended from the great Coppola's, so you can expect nothing but
0: greatness from him. Really? Okay, Matchstick Men. Have you seen Matchstick Men? Mm-mm. It's really good. And Nick Cage has OCD in that film, so it all ties together. Huh. Yeah, Matchstick Men. It's good, and it has one of the best Nick Cage lines I've ever heard in my life.
1: Yeah, in um, Lord of
0: War, Nick Cage and
1: Geralito are brothers, and, like, they are in the proper. Uh, I love that. Ethan Hawke is also in it. It's, like, a pretty star-studded cast. I love Ethan
0: Hawke. Same here. But yeah, that basically wraps up our little information session about the Bratva. Did you learn some things?
1: (laughs) I I learned learned so much. No, that's really cool. I think it's so interesting how like it's all organized crime, but like they all run so differently. Yeah, it's cool. It really is. Join us next week as we wrap up the Maid series with the Darkest Temptation. Super, super excited to cover this one. Um, I would say out of all of these books, this is definitely the darkest. It, it does is. not lie. <laughs> but funnily
0: enough, it's also my
1: favorite of the series. And first, so. yeah, because we have something wrong with us. Um, <laughs> what does that say about us? And then the week after that, we are going to be starting the Christmas season, actually. So we're going to be writing our own
0: Hallmark-style Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. I need to get started on that. I do, too. (laughs) I haven't even thought about it yet. Yeah. So we are going to be writing our own, um, basically, like, plots and, and characters for what we believe would be amazing Hallmark stories. So, get reading on the darkest temptation. We'll see you then. And as always, let's get lit.